Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. Welcome back to the show where we dig deeper to understand what matters most in business. Today, we're going to be talking about getting the numbers right. And I'm pleased to welcome Ian Schnorr, who is Executive Director of the Financial Modeling Institute. Ian, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me here. It's great to be here. No, it's a pleasure. You know, the show is called Behind the Numbers, and you know, numbers are important. And today, I want to get into why that matters. And you're the uh, the renowned expert on exactly how to do that. So, without further ado, let me start by uh, letting you introduce yourself to the audience a little bit and explain what Financial Modeling Institute is. Sure. Great. Well, uh, thanks again. And. Um, I mean, very quickly, before I tell you about Financial Modeling Institute, let's talk about financial modeling for two seconds, because that will help explain what the Institute is doing. I mean, That's fair. financial model is is simply the discipline, as you know, uh, of using usually typically spreadsheets to build a forecast, to forecast some sort of a, usually a business or a division uh, for planning purposes. Ultimately, everyone in business does and should use forecast to help make critical business decisions. The problem is people don't often do it very well. And uh, it's a discipline. It's its own discipline that's lacking often in rigor and in global universal recognition of people's skills. So Financial Modeling Institute is an organization that we set out to, a number of us set globally set out to build a number of years ago, that is an accreditation body in financial modeling. Think of it like you know, the CPA body or CFA Institute in that regard, we're trying to create the world's only body that provides rigorous proctored challenging programs and then ultimately exams in the field of financial modeling so that those who pass can truly say that they have excellent skills in this discipline. Yeah, and thanks for setting that frame. So I think the audience knows that I am in the business of valuation consulting, helping companies and valuing their businesses. I have built and reviewed, God, thousands of financial models, and there is an art and a science to doing it. But before we dive into that component, I want to talk to you about kind of the screening for financial modeling aptitude. Uh, In my world and pretty much in every other financial job application, you'll see uh, the applicants are required to have some financial modeling discipline. And we put them through a series of questions and make some sort of a determination. Uh, but yet we don't always get that right. Why is that, Ian? Where, where are the pitfalls? Yeah, well, see, it's exact, and that's <laughs> that's exactly why we went out to uh, develop the Financial Modeling Institute because because there was no easy way for people to really know. There was no easy way for you or any other CFO at a company to truly know. You know, about ten years ago, we started seeing on job postings back. You know, in my day when I when I got my first job. Um, you know, people were looking for undergrads or MBAs or a CPA or a CFA. But in recent years, it's been under 10 years, and you've seen this, right? Job postings have started saying, we're also looking for someone who has strong financial modeling skills because employers know that it's so important, but they've never had any set of letters that they could say, have these letters, and it confirms to us that you have those skills. So what does everyone do? They do it on their own. Organizations run their own internal tests and their uh oh there there there's all sorts of problems some organizations will do will invite people into the office to do a one-hour test but you can't really 
fully test someone's modeling skills in only an hour. And of course, then they have to grade them and it's time consuming. Also, those tests get passed around and everyone seems to know, oh, if you're if you're interviewing with this organization, here's the test that they're going to give you. And everyone knows. Or they give people a weekend assignment to do and submit it at the end of the weekend. And then, of course, everyone gets their brother or their uncle or aunt to do it that's, that works in banking or in finance. So hard to know if it's actually happening from the real person. Whereas, so an accreditation hopefully solves a lot of that mess. Yeah, for sure. The, the accreditation speaks to the fact that someone has been through a rigorous process and demonstrated the skills and ability to do that. And, and just to kind of set it up just a little bit at a, more of a 30,000 foot view again for the audience in terms of where financial models are relied on. It's relied everywhere in business um, from the most critical transactions that are occurring, multi-million, multi-billion dollar deals. There are underlying deal models that are spreadsheet based to the smallest business where they're doing planning and forecasting and, and capturing financial data. Again, usually spreadsheet based. So the uses are from, they run the gamut and decisions are being made based on these numbers. Talk about, if you would, Ian, why it is so important, I think we get it, but why is it so important that the models be done properly? Yeah, and that's exactly right. Is is models are now there, there's a there's a heightened over the last number of years, certainly since the last financial crisis, there has been a heightened sense of requirement over the discipline of people having disciplined, um, rigorous analytical tools, forecast, and you said it, you hit the nail on the head, forecast models are used for every single major and minor decision that gets made within an organization, you know, valuation decisions, investment decisions, planning, budgeting, um, employment decisions, etc. And so they've got to be right. So what happens as you ask, you know, um, when uh, when if a model's not working well, well, I mean, as a starter, you could, it could lead you down the wrong path. The model could generate the wrong answers is the is the most significant problem that could happen. Um, but there's all sorts of secondary issues. I mean, ultimately, and I've regrettably seen situations where uh, a model was wrong. And if the model is wrong, the valuation coming out of it will be wrong, often significantly. And it can lead the team, the management t- team, to make a significantly erroneous decision around the direction that they should take or how much they should pay. And as you know, and we all know, if a company ever overpays for an asset or a business, you can never recover. Um, if you overpay, you're done at that point. So uh, making the wrong decision is going to be the biggest problem. But there's even secondary issues, like I said. For instance, the model is often about a, a means to an end. It, it, a great model will give you great visibility into a situation, Great, give you great insight and understanding. And if you don't have great clarity and if the model doesn't create confidence, then you never feel a sense of comfort over the process that you're going through, whether it's a planning process or evaluation process or an M&A process. And, and, and so it creates more angst and tension throughout. So it's really important to have uh, ensure that the forecast is really clean and working well. Yeah, and I want to talk to you about what constitutes a properly constructed model because I'm going to share something that uh, I know friends and colleagues will, will chuckle with this, but in the valuation space, you know, we're working with spreadsheets that are probably 25 tabs with individual uh, spreadsheets that, that all link to one another to ultimately come up with a value. And when, when you have a colleague that uh, makes an assumption and just hard codes it into the cell and you're not called out as to where that thing was hard coded. I mean, that could literally blow up your entire model. So what what constitutes a properly well done constructed model? 
Well, first of all, um, I always like to tell people a model is just like a machine. Think of it like a, a model is like any physical asset. It's like any physical, you know, machine or and and so if you if you asked any of your colleagues to go build let's say a building if you if you task them with building an automobile or a building or something physical what everyone would do is they would first set step back and try to build a plan around it they would try to say okay how do we design this thing whatever it is how do i learn about it and build it and, and design it and get it you know hire an architect hire designers right if you were going to build a house or a, or a building and yet when it comes to virtual machines, virtual assets like a model, people often don't do that. And they just start to jump in and dive in and start typing away. So the first thing is, is strong planning is, is critical to ensure that, that the model will ultimately work well. And then adhering, you know, um, we talk about this a lot in some of our materials, but adhering to strong discipline. I mean, Oh my gosh, there are so many reasons and ways why models don't work well. You touched on a couple of minutes, um, a minute ago, having too many tabs. A couple of years ago, I saw a model, a spreadsheet model. Uh, this was the worst I'd ever seen. It had 113 sheets, 113 tabs in it. And wow. this, the company finally waved the white flag and they said, we can't, we're, we're done. We can't use this thing anymore. It's impossible. Um, and there are, uh, right, having too many tabs and not planning the tab structure appropriately can lead to all sorts of, you know, problematic issues with formulas that are too long. And I've got some tips that I can share on how to avoid that. But yeah, I mean, starts from the beginning, a strong plan over what it's going to look like, how you would, the same way you would think about designing anything physical, as I mentioned, think about how you want this to look, to feel, how you want the formula structure to be comprised, what should be in it, the, the layout of the flow will take you a long way to getting an optimally performing model. Yeah, Ian, for folks who are watching or listening and want to learn more about you or the Financial Modeling Institute, how they can get certified, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm on LinkedIn. It's easy to find me. It's my last name is again Schnoor, S C H N O O R, Ian Schnoor. And our website at Financial Modeling Institute is just fminstitute.com. You can find us that way. Info at fminstitute.com will get you in front of uh, all the right people. So we're 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 we should be easy to easy to find. Great. Ian, we're coming up on a commercial break here, but before we do that, in maybe a minute and a half to two minutes, I just wanted to sneak in one more question here. And I want to ask you a little bit about the distinction between the, the folks who are preparing the models and the users of the models. Oftentimes, it's the more junior level staff tends to build the models for more senior level staff who will be using them. Um, talk a little bit about how models are constructed, perhaps, with the end user in mind. Well, they need to be in the same way, right? I mean, if you, if you think, if you start to think about your tools in the same way you would, um, you know, a, a building or a house, I mean, obviously, uh, when you walk into a, a building or a house that has nice flow and it's, and it, and it just feels nice and it feels right, that didn't happen by accident. There was a lot of work and thought that went into it. The same thing. Um, when you, whenever, so whenever I have to build a model, I want to think about, uh, in my planning process, I will be, if you are my client and I need to deliver a product to you, I'm going to have some meetings with you in advance. I'm going to find out how uh, we're going to talk in advance about how I'm going to present it in the optimal flow. And, and, you know, I always talk about the fact that a good model should start with a cover page. So it sort of sets the stage and then an executive summary, because the very first thing you're going to want to know when I present to you is what's the answer. So and then what will you want to see on your executive summary? So you have all the information up front. 
And then I promise you the very next thing that you and every other senior person will want to know after you review my executive summary will be, okay, Ian, how did you get there? What decisions, what decisions did you make to generate these answers? And then I will say, beautiful, let's flip the page because the very next page will be one or two or three pages just with all my assumptions. And we can review them for half an hour together and you'll understand exactly what thought process I went through. And you will immediately after the first few pages start to feel like this is clean and methodical. And you've got a lot of confidence in me and in what I'm doing. And so that will help direct uh, the traffic and how we're working through it together. Uh, you know, how we're as opposed to just diving in and trying to go to this tab and that tab and not understanding things. And it creates enormous frustration when it doesn't flow nicely. And then every single page will have been planned out to present to you in a way that that makes sense. The model has to tell a story. And I always say that you have to be able to tell a good story in a logical, uh, effective, intuitive way. Yeah. And for uh, the folks in the audience who are in the deal world, just imagine uh, sending a really well-constructed model off to your potential buyer for their due diligence process. And like Ian said, the confidence that instills in them and how that translates into value. Ian, we're going to have to take a quick pause here. Don't go anywhere. You watching and listening, don't go anywhere either. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. Hi, this is Chris Wilhelm, and I'm excited to be bringing you a new show this spring on RVN Television called All Things South Jersey. Where we'll be taking a look at people who have made South Jersey at their home, as well as a look at our boroughs, our towns, and our cities. The show will air on Wednesdays and Saturdays at 2.30. And if you're not available, you can pull it up on RVN Television Platform on demand, as well as Roco, Apple TV, and Firestick. Hope to see you soon. I love that we both got an awesome network and saved money doing it. I know, $25. I love that it's guaranteed for three years. Hey, we're sitting on a sign here. Switch and get Welcome Unlimited for $25 a line. Guaranteed for three years. Verizon. There's an old expression in business that you can't manage what you can't measure. Business performance and business valuation, it's all measured by the numbers. But I've learned that the real lessons and the tough decisions that are made occur behind the numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. Join me and my guests as we go behind the numbers to understand what really matters most in business. Hi, I'm Darlene. And I'm Joe, and we're your new host at Let's Talk on RBN Television. And we're going to have a really exciting and fun-filled show with guests in every walk of life. So join us every Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock and every Friday evening at 5.30. So see you then. Oh, okay. Yes, it does it. We switched to Liberty Mutual and saved $652. They customize your car insurance, so you only pay for what you need. With the money we saved, we thought we'd try electric unicycles. Careful, babe. Saving was definitely easier. Hey, babe, I think I got it. It's actually... Okay, show off. <laughs> oh. Only pay for what you need. Liberty, 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 liberty.
And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about getting the numbers right with Ian Schnoor, who's the Executive Director of the Financial Modeling Institute. And uh, Ian, I want to kick off this second segment on a lighter note. I want to get outside of the numbers altogether. Um, so uh, when Ian and I were doing our, our prep call conversation, uh, it was made clear to me that Ian is in Toronto, and one of my favorite exports from Canada is a band called Rush. And um, I always have those conversations, and it uh, turns out that Ian has a little interesting connection to Rush, which uh, also has an affiliation with another one of my favorite topics, beer. So um, how's that for a segue? Ian, why don't you tell everybody what I'm talking about? Isn't it amazing we're going to be able to tie together financial modeling, a Rush, a Canadian rock band, and beer, and make it all relevant? This uh, is a mic yeah, drop moment day for me. <laughs> well, the um, the way that those three things all tie together is that you know we've been talking about modeling and the importance of forecasting, um, and the importance of building really clean, powerful tools to make decisions. And a number of years ago, uh, some of my friends were guys in the beer industry and decided to start a brewery. One was a brewmaster, one was a beer marketing guy, and the other was a beer sales guy. But to start a brewery, they needed some numbers and they needed a forecast and they needed to go to the bank and get some loans and they needed to secure uh, a lease. So they needed someone to help with numbers. So uh, they asked me if I would come in. Um, to help them with a model, and I built a model for them to help them build, to understand and to create clarity. Uh, we took that model to, I am now as a result a, a shareholder uh, of this brewery. The brewery is called the Henderson uh, Brewing Company, Henderson, and uh, it's right in central Toronto. If you're ever in Toronto, we've got a tap room that you can check out. So I'm a shareholder, and I'm actually the chair of the board as well. And, uh, and so our model was used to help secure the bank line, the initial bank line. The bank said it was, you know, one of the nicest models they'd ever seen. It really helped facilitate the process and it allowed the landlord to get confident in our business plan and, and, uh, and lease us the space that we wanted. And then a couple of years ago, we created a collaboration beer with the band Rush. And I told this to David and here's one of the cans here. This is our Rush. It is a beautiful Canadian golden ale. And I've got a couple back here. Um, but we have got a collaboration with the band, and if you have a chance to check out the Rush Beer, I think you will enjoy it. But it was off the backs of our models that we were able to get the brewery going. That is a phenomenal story. I can't tell you how much I love it, and uh, I'm so excited we're able to share that here with our audience, so thanks for that. Um, okay, quick pivot here, deep breath, back to the task at hand. Uh, back into the numbers. And I want to give you an opportunity to kind of get on a soapbox, Ian, uh, and I'll join you there too. Uh, the message to business owners, right, worldwide, if you are running a business, if you are a CFO, if you are a controller, what are you saying to these folks with regards to the models? If you are the senior person, what you should be saying is, I need to make sure that the model is clear. I always tell people that build models that a good model has to work in two different ways. And this is for the purpose of the senior reader, the audience. Every good financial model has to work in two ways. Number one, it has to work electronically. And when I say a model has to work electronically, it means that anybody should be able to go in and click on every cell one at a time and understand it. If I built the model, someone should say, uh huh, as they click through row one, two, three, four, five, they should be able to say, yeah, okay, I get it. I understand every single formula and I understand exactly how Ian is building it. And if they went through all of it, they would understand all of it. So a good model has to work electronically so that people can understand it has clarity and it creates confidence. And number two, I always tell people that a good model has to work well 
on paper. Yes, even in today's day and age, you have to be able to print it out on paper or as a PDF because a lot of reviewers, a lot of senior people don't want to crawl through the Excel spreadsheet. They want to be able to read it like a presentation on paper. And that will ensure that the logic flows and that it is telling the right story. If you think, so if a senior person delivers that message and ensures that models come back to them that way, it will be so much easier. I have had stories from CFOs that said they had to review a model on a Saturday and it ruined their day because they couldn't figure out what's going on. Have you ever seen formulas, you alluded to it, a formula that's so long, it's linking to 20 different spots and you can't figure out what's going on. And when you go to each spot, each of those cells is linking to 10 different spots and it's a nightmare. That should never happen, never. And so if, if, if a model's built that way, it's not working well, it's not designed well, uh, and, and it's gotta be. So if you aim and strive towards ensuring every formula is clear and understandable and that it presents well as a paper tool, you will have better models and better decision-making ability. Good stuff. I wanna get into some of the time bombs and the mistakes. I mean, one of the things that I think most people have run into, a common one that comes to mind immediately, is the, the formula that points to the wrong cell. But what are some of the big time bombs and mistakes that you've run into? I mean, there's lots, but uh, one, one having having an extraordinary or an, an excessive number of sheets in a model causes a problem, largely because when you have too many sheets in a file, you end up with cross-linking. When you have to build a formula, you end up linking to three or four or five different sheets, and then it becomes very difficult to check, and you often link to the wrong spot, and you might pull the wrong number, and it's very hard to check. Um, one of the mantras, I got two critical mantras that I talk about and that we deliver in our, when people join the FMI, they get learning materials to help them prepare to build a model, to help to prepare for the exam. It's all about the exam, but there's learning materials to prepare and kind of go through all these tips. And the one tip that I share says, repeat and link. So remember that, repeat and link, repeat and link. What that means is if you, so what I do is imagine you built us a file and I struggle to understand it. If I saw a formula that was huge and it was linking to six or seven or eight cells on different sheets on the same sheet, the first thing I would do is I would go to my big formula and I would insert six or seven or eight rows. And then I would take each of the cells from the long formula and repeat them one at a time. So each of the cells above me just had a single link to one of the prior cells. So now I've got seven or eight rows that are just direct links back and then the eighth row becomes the same formula. But instead of build, imagine, instead of building that formula linking all over the place, all the cells I need are directly on top of me. And so that is like a breath of fresh air. It suddenly magically makes it so much easier to follow what was happening to build up. So yes, you end up with more rows, but it is, uh, it is so much easier to follow and understand. So repeat and link is critical. You never have to have long formulas that are linking all over the place and to different sheets. Yeah, and man, I can tell you, I, I'm going back to a model that looks just like that a little bit later on today. Uh, talk a little bit about the ability to construct a model, Ian, that allows you the flexibility, like in the, for example, in a forecast where uh, it's a living document, if you will, and you need to modify it every quarter, every year. What are the best practices for building something that you can add on to? Well, so you're talking about rolling. You're talking about using a model as sort of an, so there's two, there's really two types of forecast models that ever get built, truly. There are transactional models, models that are used for the purposes of a one-time purpose of getting through a deal, um, you know, issuing a security, 
making an investment, etc. And then there are models that become sort of planning models, ongoing models that are used for rolling, um, that are used for annual budgeting, planning, etc. And they need to roll. So every time you have a quarter end, you need to update the model with the actuals and then roll and include another quarter at the end. There are a couple of ways to do that. What I like to do is to have one sheet in the file that's just called historicals, actuals. And whether you automatically link that to your, you know, to your database or whether you literally just type in the, the, the actuals, it doesn't matter, but one sheet that says actuals. And then, you know, a, a series of look in the actual forecast. In your forecast, you might choose to be forecasting the next, you know, eight quarters and always show the last four actuals. So then you just need a simple set of lookup functions that can always pull the latest four actuals. And it realizes that when it sees the last actual, the next forecast should be the next quarter. And, and you always have the next eight quarters ahead of you. So having a simple historical sheet uh, and then lookup functions like, you know, even a simple V lookup or an X lookup in the model will allow you to pull what you need. Yeah, and so XLOOKUP, you're talking about a little more complicated Excel function, but in the grand scheme of things, not too difficult. I just got the sign that we're coming down to the short strokes here, Ian, only a couple minutes to go, and I'm going to sneak in as much as I can, but at the risk of making sure that we don't miss this, I want to give you another opportunity to share, first off, how folks can get a hold of you, uh, if they want to learn more about you, connect with you, network with you, work with you, what have you. Yeah, great. I mean, very simply, it's, again, it's Ian Schnoor, S-C-H-N-O-O-R. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm active on LinkedIn. Uh, I post videos and some articles, and I'm in the middle of a video series on the top 10 reasons why a balance sheet doesn't balance. So you can follow me on LinkedIn. You can find our uh, us at fminstitute.com, the Financial Modeling Institute. So it should not be, you can follow the FM, uh, the FMI's web um, LinkedIn page. So it's not hard to, to find us and reach out to us, and we're always happy to chat. And one more chance for the beer lovers in the audience. How can they get a hold of Henderson Brewery? Well, the Henderson Brewery is uh, is in central Toronto. We'd love to see you. Let me know if you're going to come. Uh, maybe I'll even take you down for a tour of our tap room. Um, it is in the Junction neighborhood in central Toronto, and especially in the summer, it's a great place to sit outside and and have uh, a beer for those who are of age, which is only 19 here in uh, in Toronto, by the way. If my fantasy football draft was not the day of rush day in, in at the Henderson Brewery, I would be there with you. Uh, Real quick, Ian, again, down to the short strokes, so maybe in just a minute or two, uh, I want to give you kind of the last word here. If there are any other tips and tricks, hacks that you might want to share with the audience right now. Sure. A couple things. Let me just let me just spew off a few things quickly. First of all, every model, as I said, plan it. Make sure that you spend a half an hour, an hour thinking about what's the flow, what should be in the model, what's the right level of detail. If I have 40 rows to build revenue, maybe you don't need 4,000 rows to build up the operating costs. Think and plan what every portion of the model will look like before you start building it. You need to make sure it's clear. Everyone should be able to follow it along on paper or on the screen. I already provided a tip that said repeat link. With long formulas, the way to solve those is add rows, repeat each cell individually, and then have your formula include the cells that are directly on top of you so it's not linking all over the place. A new one I'll share is... Um, is a tip that I say, a mantra, says build it and link it. And that tip means never, 
Never, when you're building a forecast model, it all culminates in the financial statements. Never, never, never build long formulas on the financial statements. Never. Your, obviously, your EBT and your earnings numbers can be additions or subtractions. But the line items on any set of financial statements, on the income statement, cash flow balance sheet, should never have long formulas. Those lines should be linked to schedules. The way to keep a model clean is build a revenue schedule to capture the revenue and then link that in to the financial statements. Same thing for depreciation. Same thing for debt and interest. When I see forecast models with huge formulas right on the financial statements, I know it's going to be a disaster. So uh, repeat and link is what I talked about, and then build it and link it, meaning build schedules and link the totals into your financial statements will create a world of difference. Uh, well said. And if you're a financial leader, I urge you to get in touch with Ian and everything that he's up to. And I mean everything that he's up to. Ian, we are out of time here on Behind the Numbers. It goes fast. And I just want to say thank you again for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Dave. I might crack one now, but it's uh, it's great to be here. And I hope to see you again soon. Likewise. Take care. We have been talking the numbers. We've been talking beer. We've been talking rush with Ian Schnorr, the executive director of Financial Modeling Institute. And my name again is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. If you're a business owner and you want to know what the real value of your company is, please reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn. Shout out to the folks in the, uh, the production booth back here for making the show run smoothly, as they always do. Thank you, guys. And thank you to the audience out there for watching and listening and for making Behind the Numbers such a popular show. Listened to in more than 100 countries now, so thank you for that. Please crush the subscribe button and stay in touch with us. That's all we have for today, gang. You take care. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers.